Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is well with our souls because of what you have done for us. Your amazing love that you have come into our lives and brought us into this incredible faith that we have, knowing that our future is secure. But Lord, there are so many people in this world that don't know this truth. People that know but don't know about your love. We see them each and every day. Lord, help our passion to grow, to share your truth with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I begin the message, a couple things. Number one, I want to thank all of you who took the time to fill out a survey for our strategic planning process. I believe over 200 of those surveys were, were completed, and we're in the process. We'll be going through them, and, and um, we have a team working on um, just some basic things for the strategic planning as far as putting together some, some ideas. But eventually, um, it's going to involve um, a larger group, and then eventually the information will be brought to you as we collectively work towards a strategic plan um, for our future. And um, also, too, I want to kind of lay out for you what's happening with a sermon series coming up. We are finishing up the series called God's Not Dead today. And um, next week, we start a four-part series focusing on the Son of God. It's going to be focusing on the life of, of Jesus and, uh, and the movie that went out a while ago called The Son of God, which is a, a very um, good movie. There been a lot of great Christian movies coming out. And some more recently, some came out as well. And I want to encourage us to support the effort um, by those that are putting out these Christian movies. In fact, The War Room that went out, I think, a few months ago, that went up to number one um, in the box offices at that time, which is really an incredible thing. These things are happening. And then after Easter, um, we're going to be doing a series on the, um, Paul's you know, book of Acts and the early church and how that correlates to our church here today in the 21st um, century. So just to kind of give you an idea of what's going to be coming down the road. Today, as we conclude the series on God's Not Dead, the um, theme is welcoming skepticism. And that may sound like a strange um, topic, welcoming skepticism. You know, for those that poll what's happening in, in um, you know, the church world, or just what's happening religiously around our country, the largest growing group in our country, guess what it is? Atheists and agnostics. They're called nuns, okay? They just have no faith whatsoever. And this group is getting really large in our younger generations. Nearly a third of them claim they do not believe in God at all. And this group is becoming increasingly um, strong as far as pushing their atheist views, trying to shape our society, shape our country, to battle against what we as Christians believe. And it can be so easy for us to look at them as what? As the enemy, right? And that's not what God wants us to do, okay? You know, what we're going to talk about today is that God wants we as Christians to be welcoming of who? Of all people, okay? If we're going to change the world for Jesus, we need to engage in conversations with people that have different views with us. If we shut them out, we will never have that opportunity. You think about how Jesus handled skeptics. In fact, in his ministry, the disciples he chose before they became followers of him were, were skeptical, okay? Um, they weren't believers. 
And you think of even some of those who followed him, like Peter, at one point, Peter did what? He denied Jesus how many times? Three times. He became skeptical. But yet Jesus later comes to him and three times says, Peter, do you love me? And ultimately Peter says, yes, Lord, I, I love you. And, and, and Jesus restores him. Peter goes on to become an incredible leader in the early church. Um, you th- can think of Thomas. He wasn't there when Jesus first appeared after the resurrection. And he did not believe his disciples that Jesus had risen. So what did Jesus do? He appears to Thomas says, hey, here I am, Thomas. Look at the holes in my hands and the hole in my side. Stop doubting and what? Believe. Thomas goes on to become the person who brings Christianity to India, to that part of the world, an incredible church leader. The Apostle Paul, complete skeptic. In fact, he was capturing Christians, turning them over to be imprisoned, even put to death. But what did Jesus do? He appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. And says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And ultimately, we see that um, he becomes a believer. And one of the greatest leaders in the early church. That, that Jesus takes some of the most skeptical people and turns them into some of the most incredible leaders for his church. Sometimes skeptics can become great, incredible Christian leaders. And so we're called upon to welcome skepticism. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've questioned my faith. Okay? There are times when, when I got angry with God. Ever happened to you? I can recall when early in my ministry, I was in Salt Lake City, and, and our, we went to, um, to worship that morning and, and had a great day at church and drove home, and, and there's fire trucks, ambulances, TV cameras. Our house was on fire. It had been burning for three hours. All the stuff inside destroyed. Our dogs um, were dead, and um, family heirloom was lost. And I'm thinking, you know, God, I came here to serve you. Why are these terrible things happening to me? I remember just being angry with God and feeling incredible guilt about it. Until I saw in Psalm 22, King David, a guy who God calls a guy after my own heart. We saw in Psalm 22, you know, David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. You think David's having a bad day? You look through a lot of the Psalms. David's laying it out there, like, where are you, God? And what's God? How's he responding to David? This is a guy after my own heart. I love this guy. He's honest. At least he's really sharing what he really feels. Sometimes we may be skeptical. But that's where we need to, and through the skepticism so often, we can grow through those challenges we face. And I can say that I have my own personal life. And so how do we deal with the skeptical people in the world? How do we reach out to them? And I want to give to you seven things today. And I know it's going to be hard to remember these things, but I want you to try to do the best you can. The first thing, if we're going to reach the people in this world that are skeptical, number one is we have to love them. We have to love them. You know, Jesus gives us two simple commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when it comes to that, who is our neighbor? Everybody. Everybody is our neighbor, okay? And I think we sometimes struggle 
with loving people. We sometimes struggle with loving people that are opposed to us, people that are against our views. Jesus' whole thing is love the sinner, but we can hate the what? Hate the sin. I think we sometimes lump the two together. And we have to be careful not to do that. We can say, well, Jesus seems to have hated the Pharisees and the Sadducees. No, he didn't hate them. He loved them. Just hated what they were doing, what they were standing for. But, and he was applying love, but it was a tough love. He was trying to get their attention, trying to get them back on the right track. We're called upon to love everybody. And here's the challenge. When you go through your day, and you see people around you, can you honestly say that you love everybody you see? You see somebody of a different race, maybe somebody on a street corner holding a sign, maybe somebody who cuts you off with your, their car. Do you love them? You see, we need to work towards that. Okay? And sometimes we, with the people that we may have a hard time loving, if you were to analyze their lives, you would find people that are broken. People had terrible childhoods. People had terrible things happen to them. And rather than being angry or bitter or hatred towards them, we should feel bad for them and learn to love them. Everybody is loved by God. God so loved the world, he so loves everybody. And if we're going to reach the world for Jesus, we have to love the people he created, love everybody because he loves everybody no matter who they are. There's no lost causes in this world. Everybody has so much potential, and God made them special to learn to love everybody. And I want to encourage you to begin a process starting today. As you're going through your day, if you're finding yourself, I am having a hard time loving somebody, you got to work on praying, could God help me to love that person? Help me to do a better job, to strive and learn to love everybody, because that's what God calls us to do. You know, there's, there's two things in life. There's, there's love and there's sin. Sin is outside the bounds of love, and so if we're going through life and we're hating people, not liking people, that's called what? Strong is sin. It's sin. We're to love everybody, even our enemies. And sometimes that's hard. But that's our calling as Christians, this incredible calling to love. And so it starts with love. Secondly, from love, it goes to pray. Pray for them. Pray for people. Jesus prayed for people. When, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, and, and Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, just think about how that prayer is broken down. Our Father who art in heaven. Our common Father. Whose Father is he? Everybody's Father. Every one of our genealogies. Everybody in this world, if we trace our genealogies all the way back, our genealogies go back to who? Adam and Eve. We're all related. You know, we're all one family, really, ultimately. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We want God's kingdom, his will to be done for who? Everybody. Give us this day our daily bread. God, don't just give me what I need to get by for today as far as my sustenance and the things I need to survive, but give it to everybody. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. We're praying for forgiveness for who? Everybody. God, bring forgiveness in the life of every single person. Ultimately, bring them eternal life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, bring spiritual protection over the lives of who? Everybody. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. 
to pray for salvation for the lives of all the people around us. And I think it's important in our own lives to do this on a personal basis. I, you know, a number of years ago, I'm not sure you remember this, for those of you around, we had a, um, a bunch of sheets on the wall. We had you put the names of people that you were praying for that didn't know Jesus. And during that time, I saw more people come to faith in this congregation that didn't believe in any time in the history of since I've been here over the last nine years. Think about people that you know that don't know Jesus and pray for them. Pray for God's spirit to open up their hearts and minds, but be ready because so often we pray, guess who God's going to use in the process? He's going to use us. Love them. Pray for them. Here's the next one. Seek them. Seek them out. You know, I was doing my devotion um, just the other day in Mark, and it kind of has a job description for um, the disciples. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to those, those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12, designated them apostles, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. That he might send them out to preach. When Jesus gives us the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Does he say, stay he said, what? It's a command. Go. We come here to grow in God's word, to receive the sacraments, to worship him. Then we go out there to do what? Spread the message of Jesus to this world through what we say, through what we do. We see this time and time again in Jesus' ministry. He went and sought after people. The woman at the well, he went and sought her out. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, Jesus goes and seeks him out and goes to his house and that whole town is transformed as Zacchaeus comes to faith. He takes four times the amount of all what he's cheated the people out of and pays them back. It was like Christmas four times over. These people all of a sudden got an incredible amount of money, just poured back in the community. This guy's life changed. And it says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man, Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save what was lost. That was his focus. Is that our passion? If we really love people, we want the best for them, right? What's the best for people? To come to know who? Come to know Jesus. Children, grandchildren, neighbors, friends, relatives. There's nothing better than that. Love them, pray for them, seek them, Here's the next one. Ask questions. Ask questions. So often we're like, I don't know what to say. Asking questions is a powerful thing. Jesus did it a lot. Even with his disciples, he trained them. And who do people say that I am? What about you? What do you guys, who do you say I am? The woman at the well, he approaches her. Can you give me some water? He starts with a question. So often questions get the conversation going. Questions get the other person talking. Don't know what to say? Ask questions. Get to know the person. You know, when I was in seminary, to, before I graduated, we have to have what's called a theological interview. A one-hour grueling of three professors grill you for one hour with tough theological questions. And so I'm just nervous, I'm studying like crazy, and I get in this group of these three, you know, professors, and one of them was from South Korea, and he asked me a question. 
I didn't understand what the question was. I said, I'm not really sure I understand your question. Could you explain that to me? And so he began to explain the question. The next thing I know, I start, you know, I start asking some more questions, and these guys, the three guys, started talking to each other, okay? And, and they started getting this conversation. And before I knew it, the hour was up. I think I talked for maybe five minutes, and most of my talking was asking them questions. And so they kind of did the interview for me. It's amazing how powerful questions can be in conversation. Asking questions. Tell me about what do you believe? What do you think about who Jesus is? What's important to you? And then with that, the next one, to listen to what they say. Listen to what they say. James 1.19, everyone should be quick to speak. Wait, slow, wait, slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. We have how many ears? Two ears, one mouth. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And so often, the best way to communicate is just listen to people. Take it in. If you're not sure what they're saying, ask questions. Is this what you meant? Is what you're trying to say to me? Listen. You know, Jesus, the, the, the God of the universe, you, you, you look at his conversations with people, and he had all the answers, and, and look at how often he listened. Because he's asking questions. The next thing is he's listening to what they're saying. Ask questions. Listen. Here's another one. Find common ground. Find common ground. You know, Jesus did it time and time again. A master, this was Paul. In fact, I want to give you a couple illustrations of Scripture with what Paul did in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is, as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. See, so you people are very religious. You've got these statues of this unknown God. And he uses that as a kind of a transition and this unknown God that you have. Let me talk to you about the God that I know. But he finds out the commonality. They're religious people. Now, what do we have in common with atheists, agnostics? I'll tell you what we do. They have, I believe they have strong faith. Let me tell you why. They believe in evolution, okay? They believe that in outer space at one point, rocks were crashing into each other, and they formed these planets in an area where there's no life out there. Life cannot exist out there in outer space. And these rocks are crashing together, and they form these planets, and they form these suns, and somehow from those rocks... Life emerges, and he begins to grow and evolve and to become people like us who can feel and love and hear and see and do all this stuff. My question is, how can rocks possibly do that? These people have amazing faith as far as I'm concerned. Okay, that's the starting point. You people have faith too in what you believe. I have faith in what I believe. You know, I, I, I think we're crazy to believe in what we believe. I think they're pretty wild and crazy to believe in what they believe. Commonalities. But we got to do it in love. Find the common ground with people. What do we have in common? And finally, the last part, enter the conversation. We now enter the conversation. Do we do that first? No, this is way down the line. You look at this. You love them. You pray for them. You seek them. You ask the questions. You listen. You find the common ground. And then you begin to, to share 
But the question is, what do you share? Like, I don't know what to say. A couple weeks back, I was sharing with you this um, grid that talked about our belief system here at Shepherd of the Desert as far as our, just our discovery about declare. There's a verse of Mark 13, 11 I shared with you. It says, Jesus said, do not worry beforehand what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. I believe when the time is right, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say at the right time. You know, I've seen this time and time again in my life. You know, all of a sudden, God just gives me the right things to say, and I'm talking. It's like, where'd that come from? That's way beyond what I could possibly say. And he will do that. He will guide you. He will give you the right words to say at the right time. But I think one of the best things is to model with our lives and, and not say a whole lot. If you're not sure what to say, don't speak too much. Sometimes we're too quick to speak. But just trust the Holy Spirit. Years ago, um, when I was in college, there was a guy that believed fully in evolution. And my, he was on my floor, and, and every morning we got together, we'd be getting ready in the bath shower room at the same time, and, you know, and, and um, we had these conversations about evolution and creation. And sometimes they last, you know, a couple of minutes, five minutes, and I'd kind of share in thoughts about why I don't believe that, that evolution is the way that we came to, to to be here, that we're created, and we, these conversations went on for months and months. And whenever the conversation got too heated, I would just back off, just kept going on, until one day I was at chapel there, and here he was, there was at chapel. And I pulled him aside afterwards, I said, how you doing? He says, I'm doing great. He says, I really have come to believe that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. And it took, took months I had one situation with my neighbors that took eight years, eight years of conversation, just, you know, talking back and forth and just being there and being friends and, and just, even if, you know, he didn't want to come to faith, he, we were still great friends. The friendship was there first. But I'll never forget the day when he finally came to our church after eight years of being my neighbor and, and when he came to faith, he and his whole family. And it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. And... I think, i got to be honest, folks. I'm going to be blunt honest. I'm not seeing a lot of conversion growth taking place in our congregation right now, lately. Okay? I'll tell you why. This is what I think. We get so wrapped up in church that all our friends become what type of people? The church people. Right? Is that true? It's been for me. I've analyzed my life lately. I realize almost all the people I know believe. And so I need to make it more of a concerted effort to connect with people in this world that don't know Jesus, to seek them, okay? We're so used to going to church, or we're used to going out to the world and connecting with people. You're about to see a um, video clip from the movie God's Not Dead, and this is um, a young man who's a college student, and his professor finds out he's a Christian, makes fun of him, and, and ultimately challenges him to, to share in the classroom to prove that God is real. His name is Josh, and ultimately through his bravery, through his courage and standing out, a whole classroom, including a professor, is changed. So please watch the, the screen at this time. It's been said that evil is atheism's most potent weapon against the Christian faith, and it is. After all, the very existence of evil begs the question, if God is all good and God is all powerful, why does he allow evil to exist? 
The answer at its core is remarkably simple. Free will. God allows evil to exist because of free will. From the Christian standpoint, God tolerates evil in this world on a temporary basis so that one day those who choose to love him freely will dwell with him in heaven, free from the influence of evil, but with their free will intact. In other words, God's intention concerning evil is to one day destroy it. Well, how convenient. One day, I will get rid of all the evil in the world. But until then, you just have to deal with all the wars and holocaust, tsunamis, poverty, starvation, and AIDS. Have a nice life. Next, you'll be lecturing us on moral absolutes. But why not? Professor Radisson, who's clearly an atheist, doesn't believe in moral absolutes. But his core syllabus says he plans to give us an exam during finals weeks. Now, I'm betting that if I manage to get an A in the exam by cheating, he'll suddenly start sounding like a Christian, insisting it's wrong to cheat, that I should have known that. And yet, what basis does he have? If, if my actions are calculated to help me succeed, then why shouldn't I perform them? For Christians, the fixed point of morality, what constitutes right and wrong, is a straight line that leads directly back to God. Oh, so you're saying that we need a God to be moral, that a moral atheist is an impossibility. No, but with no God, there's no real reason to be moral. I mean, there's not even a, a standard of what moral behavior is. For Christians, lying, cheating, stealing, in my example, stealing a great I didn't earn are forbidden. It's a form of theft, but if God does not exist, as Dostoevsky famously pointed out, if God does not exist, then everything is permissible. And not only permissible, but pointless. If Professor Radisson is right, then all of this, all of our struggle, our, our debate, whatever we decide here is meaningless. I mean, our, our lives and ultimately our deaths are no more consequence than that of a goldfish. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So after all your talk, you're saying that it all comes down to a choice. Believe or don't believe. That's right. That's all there is. That's all there's ever been. The only difference between your position and my position is that you take away their choice. You demand that they choose the box marked, I don't believe. Yes, because I want to free them. Because religion is like a, it, it, it's, it's like a mind virus that parents have passed on down to their children. And Christianity is the worst virus of all. It slowly creeps into our lives when we're weak or sick or helpless. So religion is like a disease? Yes. Yes, it infects everything. It's the enemy of reason. Reason? Professor, you left reason a long time ago. What you're teaching here isn't philosophy. It's not even atheism anymore. What you're teaching is anti-theism. It's not enough that you don't believe. You need all of us to not believe with you. Why don't you admit the truth? You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail? Professor. Me? Or God? We see that um, part of the... Uh, talk in the classroom there, and, and his bravery. And for those of you, if you're going to see the movie this afternoon, I don't want to talk more about it because you want you to see it for yourself. Or if you have not, if you're not going this afternoon, get a copy of this movie, you know, and just to see how one young man changed a whole classroom just by being courageous. 
that's what I want to encourage us to be more in our lives is courageous. I'm not up here trying to make you feel guilty or bad, maybe because I know most of us probably haven't been sharing our faith like we should. But I want us to take a look and ask ourselves, what really is most important in life? And maybe to kind of rearrange our lives as far as looking for more opportunities to engage with the people in this world. There's a lot of questions people are asking. Here's the key controversies. You know, why does a loving God allow people to suffer? A lot of people struggle with that. Creation versus evolution. How can a loving God send people to hell? What makes your God better than others? Why are Christians so judgmental? Why are Christians such hypocrites? These are some really good questions, but there's also very good answers to them, and I could probably do a sermon on each one of those questions. But I want to give you a resource if you're interested. I've put together a a book. I've got a manuscript written um, called What If You're Wrong? It's a challenge to atheists, agnostics, and it kind of goes through all these questions and gives scriptural references to them. And if if you want a copy, I've got an online copy. Just email me, Pastor John, J-O-N, at sotdaz.org. I will send you a copy of the manuscript to read for yourself and and to do research. I think it's so important for us to, to be reading scripture, but also to understand where people are coming from, to be able to show them how God's word does have all the answers we need, and it does. We have the answers. Jesus has given us the answers. And I want to encourage us to, in our lives, to connect more with the people out there, okay? And I want you to think right now, maybe one person that God is putting in your path. And I'm asking you to do it. I'm doing it myself. In fact, this week I have arranged um, an event in my life. Um, just to, there's a young man. That, there's a, actually a guy, when I walk my dog in the park, there's a guy that um, always gives my, my dog um, dog bones. And, and we've talked, and he's got a son who's just kind of struggling. And he just doesn't know God, and, and, but he loves the music group Megadeth. And I happen to be really good friends with Dave Ellison, who's in the group Megadeth. And, and so I got some tickets for the concert um, coming up next week. And, and so I talked to the guys at the park. I said, I'm going to take his son to the concert. And, you know, a lot of times you go to concerts, you go backstage, and there's, it's like a party. Well, for Megadeth, for Dave Ellison, they talk about Jesus back there. And so I'm viewing this as an opportunity to try to help this young man come to know Jesus through a person that he really looks up to. Um, as far as a musician. And so I, I just want to encourage us in our minds to be thinking about opportunities that we can do to, to connect people to Jesus. And I know I need to do a better job. And I want to see, you know, in our new member classes, I want to see some of you come along with somebody. Say, you know what, um, Pastor John, I'm coming to, we're coming to class, and, and here's you know, somebody we, I'm bringing along with, like the starting point class, to invite people, people that are trying to find the path. We know the path. We know the answer. And so, in closing, I want us to try to memorize, if we can, much as we can, the seven things I talked about today. That we need to love people. We need to pray for people. We need to seek them. We need to ask questions, to listen, to find that common ground, and then to enter the conversation. And may God grant that we as a church, that we welcome skepticism. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us even when we have doubts. And there's a lot of people in this world that have doubts. Lord, I pray that when we leave here today that we 
will be used by you in greater ways to help people that don't know you, don't know the truth, and maybe they've strayed and drifted away to bring them to your love, the salvation you've won for us, that they may have the same incredible gift that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.